Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. My name is Ross Furio. I'm here with Mike Colley. We're both pastors at Bluff Park United Methodist Church in Hoover, Alabama. And this is our weekly roundup podcast that we're calling Growing Deeper. And Growing Deeper, this is episode nine, Hard I believe. To believe. We're, we're about to run out of fingers, Ross. We're yeah, going to have to move are. on. We are. Um, so this, this podcast is all about helping you— and, and it, let's be honest, helping ourselves as well, uh, grow deeper in life and in faith. Uh, we want to uh, deal with questions. We want to wrestle with scriptures, and we want to consider ideas on how we and the communities we're a part of can grow deeper. So we started off the podcast the first couple of weeks just talking about growth and uh, kind of from 10, 15,000 feet up. And then we decided to mix it up. And so we have been working our way through the book of Jonah. And we are on week three of that today. Yes, we are. And one of the things that we talked about in those early episodes, like Ross was mentioning, uh, was this idea that knowing better doesn't always lead to doing better. Right. Does information actually lead to transformation? Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that popped in my head as we were preparing for this week is the idea that Jonah has more information <laughs> than, you know, we could probably ever have in terms of right. responding to our calling. Right. But he also has been shocked uh, into doing better. And I think we'll, we'll see that not only from what we experienced last week, but how we see him responding this week in chapter three. Right. So let's remember his story, okay? Jonah is called to go to a place called Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire to deliver a message of repentance to them. They needed to repent from their evil ways. And Jonah says, you know what? I don't think I'm down with that, God. I don't think I want to do that. So he goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat and tries to sail to the edge of the world, right? Thinking that he can outrun God's call upon his life. A storm falls on the ship. He wakes up. He realizes that it's because of him. He says, throw me overboard. That's the only way the storm's going to stop. And lo and behold, when Jonah steps off the edge of the boat, he is saved by a, we're going to call it a whale or a fish. Uh, I think we should be biblical here, and it's a fish. Okay. okay. He is saved by a fish. He spends three days and three nights in the belly of said fish, and then he is spit back out onto dry land, and that is where our story picks up for today in chapter 3. Right. And when we look back at uh, the, the important understanding of what goes on here in chapter 3, as Ross has kind of mentioned in his summary— Jonah doesn't want to do this thing that God has asked him to do. He hates the Ninevites. They're bad folks. But he also, at the same time, knows who God is and what God's all about. Now, the other thing is, is that he knows that God is a God who forgives people who show that they are repentant. Right. Yeah, because he's, he, yeah, he's lived it. I mean, right. he knows that. So. It's like it's this there's multiple reasons I think for why Jonah has been running from this call, right? One of them is because he knows good and well what could happen to the Ninevites right. if he goes up there and right. speaks what God tells him to speak, and that is they would turn back to God and God would forgive them. I think he's also, you know, we we've talked about this, right? I think he's also a little bit scared for his own personal safety because oh, yeah. the Assyrians were not friends of Jonah and his people. And this was certainly hostile territory. Very hostile. Yeah. Yes. And dangerous. We've talked about the the tablets with all the horrible things that they have done before. Uh, these were not the 
kindest people in the region. So let's let's look at the scripture because I think it, this this is kind of one of those things where you really get the best out of this when you read the whole chapter. Right. Uh, and it's not that long. Anybody, if you've got your Bible, you can read along with me. Uh, you can go back and read over this a little bit later. But we're going to read chapter 3, which is verses 1 through 10. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Really important, I think, that we we see that God tells him proclaim a message. Proclaim the message that I tell you. And now, Jonah, this is the second time that I've told you this. Right. Now go proclaim this message. Yeah. So going on with, cha- uh, with verse 3. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, uh, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Mm. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh, all of Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not. Do it. So there we have it, folks. Nineveh repents. And, and it leads, I think, you know, at least in my Bible, the little subheading there is the conversion of Nineveh. I mean, they come to believe in God. Right. And let's, let's talk about the insanity of this for a second, because I, I know we've got more important things that this passage teaches us. But, you know, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the whole idea or or the history of these two areas, you know, it would not have taken three days to walk across Jerusalem. No, no, it would not have taken three days. Nineveh is a big old city. Yeah, it's huge. Because it is part of a, a massive, rich, powerful empire. Yeah, it's the capital of that massage, ma- mass, massage, massive, rich empire. It's the, it's the message. Ooh, I see what you're doing yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's massive message. Anyway, huge city, huge city, full of important people. Right. Um, and it is really important for us to understand that it's just insane for this giant, huge, powerful country to just hear one threat of their demise from the God of a teeny tiny, you know, little, almost right. insignificant country right. and right. repent that quickly. Uh, so something is going on here, whether or not God is already working in the lives of the people of Nineveh, or they have, uh, they have already been carrying the guilt of some of the things that they have done. 
I don't know what the answer is to that, but they immediately, from the people on the street to the very king in his palace, which has got to be a good place in a city this size, you know, covers themselves in, in sackcloth, they repent, and they fast. They don't even let the animals eat or drink. Every single person. They want every yeah, person every to be Every living creature yes. is fasting. Yes. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. They're throwing everything they got at it, right? Just seeing what sticks on the wall. What's going to work? We'll right. do anything that we can. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So here it is. that, that They repent. They uh, convert, in a sense. Uh, they, they understand that they have wronged this God, and they try to do everything they can to say they're sorry. And then on the other side of the coin, you have Jonah, who, who does the exact opposite. Yeah. Really. I mean, okay, so you, I guess you got to give Jonah credit where credit's due, okay? He runs, he ends up in the belly of a fish, he gets spit out on dry land, and he does end up going to Nineveh. Right. Right? He does end up going to Nineveh. He shows up. He shows up. You learn that the city is a three days walk across and he goes one day's walk in. Okay. Fair. I mean, did he go all the way to the center? No, he didn't. But I mean, he's, he's in the city. He's near the business district. Yeah. He's, he's in the city. He's in the burbs. Right. I would assume. Right. And then he delivers this message. And, you know, I think it's important for us to know that, that what Jonah says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is only five words in Hebrew. That's it. He gives the Ninevites five words. And so, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast and you remember, we've talked a little bit about the role of a prophet. And the role of a prophet is not just one thing, right? I mean, we talked about the role of a prophet as being a a voice that diagnoses our current reality, but then also points to a hope that is possible through repentance and through God. And you see, Jonah really only does half of that. He certainly diagnoses the reality of the Ninevites, right? But there's no hope given. No, there, the, and there's, there's not no even, hope. There's not even a a reason given. You know, he doesn't say this is why you will be overthrown or destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't keep uh, the the. You know, I don't think God. Uh, necessarily had to tell him this. I think he already knew this. There's no unless. There's there's no right. you right. have hope if you change your ways. Right. If you stay the current course in 40 days you will be destroyed. Right. If you do X X Y and Z, then you you unlock this box for for a different kind of future right. and, and a different kind of relationship with God. Right. There's none of that. None. No, none of that. So there's no here's what you done wrong. There's no unless uh, and if, if unless there's hope, it is, you know, I think you said the bare minimum oh of my what gosh. he's supposed to do. Yeah. The bare minimum. I mean, he does the least, at least this is what it seems like to me. He does the least he can possibly do and still look at God and say, I checked that box. Right. Because remember, we talked about this the first week. Jonah has been a prophet before. He pops up in Second Kings. So, he knows good and well how this is supposed to work. And again, that means he knows good and well the potential that's here for the right. Ninevites. And he wants no part of it. So, you, But he also doesn't want to be in the intestinal system of a fish again. So <laughs> he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place here. So you wouldn't say that he is an A student in this class of I mean, prophecy. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, the scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So, you know, I'm assuming... 
that God has spoken more to Jonah to say to the Ninevites than Jonah actually communicates. And, and, and he doesn't do a, an excellent job at communicating the hope, what they've done wrong. He just pronounces doom. He does the bare minimum. And in a sense, you kind of wonder if Jonah does the bare minimum because he's hoping they don't repent. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a piece of that to it. Does Jonah really want the Ninevites to repent? I think probably the answer is no. Yeah. Probably. And, and, I mean, and so he's he's really doing a poor job at this, you know, kind of checking it off the list from God, like you said, but also he's reluctant to even have to say these words. He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want them to repent. He just kind of hopes that he delivers the message, not even in the core of the city. Like you said, he's a third of the way in, uh, uh, over, around the city and just kind of gives it and leaves. So, I mean, really, I think if we try to boil it down, I think what we see here in chapter three is two different kinds of responses or two different avenues taken towards repentance. Yeah, I mean, don't you agree with that? Because, yeah. I mean, you have the Ninevites on one hand that hear this message that I think is is pretty bone dry when it comes to what we typically hear a prophet communicate from God to a people that need to change, right? There's not a whole lot of meat on these bones. Right. And they throw everything they have at it. I mean, the king hears it, and he spins into action this nationwide fast, including animals and children and women and, I mean, everybody. Everybody, nobody's going to eat a thing. Right. And it ends up working, right? I mean, God hears their cry and he doesn't destroy the city. And then you have Jonah who, it doesn't seem like there's any repentance out of Jonah for running the first time. At least we don't get to see that if there is. And then he, he does the very least that he can possibly do. I mean, to me, that's just like a juxtaposition between the Ninevites and Jonah that I think is really hard to ignore here. Yeah. Well, and I, I like the the way you use the word avenue because that there's a sense of direction. There's a sense of going from one place to another in right. that. And and you know, often in in scripture, uh, the idea of repentance is tied to a change in direction, whether it be the word for atonement uh, in the Old Testament, teshuva, which means to return to God. You know, you've gone astray and and returning to it, or whether you have in the New Testament that sort of understanding of metanoia with mm-hmm. turning 180 degrees, you know, mm-hmm. again, you're going astray and now you're coming back. Right. And right. so it's, it sounds like, you know, Jonah is sorry about the whole running away thing and getting in the fish thing, but not really because he's fully repentant. It's almost like more like because he doesn't want to live it again. Yeah. I guess just, he wants to avoid that part of it. Whereas the Ninevites are, fully returning. They are fully uh, changing. They're going 180 degrees. Uh, you know, and like you said, they're not just fasting themselves. They are throwing everything at the mm-hmm. wall. They are doing all they possibly mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. to seek forgiveness. They are repenting from the very king in his sackcloth and his ashes uh, to the very lowest of the low to the animals around them. And it seems like the very thing that Jonah didn't want to happen is what happens. And And I think... I think it's no coincidence that Jonah exits the scene right after he speaks those words, and mm-hmm. then he doesn't. He is not mentioned again in the whole rest of the chapter. I mean, he right. he pops back up in chapter four, 
and we'll deal with that when we get there. But in chapter three, you know, Jonah goes into the city, he walks one day, he delivers five words, and then that's it. Right. The rest is all about the Ninevites. I mean, they become the redeeming character in this story. Right. Which is, if you were to read chapter one, not who you would expect to be the redeeming character. Right. You know, I almost wonder if if Jonah abandons the city on purpose. You know, he goes in, he preaches doom, and then he hides. Oh, oh you have questions? Sorry. No, I got to go. Yeah. I got to go. Got to get out of here. Hey, hey uh, Jonah, what can we do? He doesn't want to answer that yeah, question. Nothing. Nothing. Um, and, and so, again, he doesn't want them to repent. He wants them to be destroyed. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I think I can identify sometimes with Jonah, uh, with, if I'm being honest, with the way I feel about people who've wronged me or of course, people yeah. that I've, I see as enemies. I, you know, don't want them to be saved. I can understand the reluctance. I can understand the stubbornness. But this is God we're talking about. I we, think too, we can't control. Yeah, I mean, I think we get stuck, e- even if we just kind of say this in our heads and never vocalize it, right? With folks that have wronged us or folks that we don't trust or folks that we don't want to be around. Almost talking to God in a way of saying, God, you don't you don't really want this person. Right. Trust me. Right. Trust me. You don't you have no interest in redeeming this person. Right. When I mean the reality is if we see anything in the story, it's God has an interest in redeeming everybody and he wants us to play a role in it. But how often do we do we convince ourselves that we know better than God when it comes to uh someone being forgiven, yeah. someone being redeemed, someone being, you know, brought back into the fold of of relationship with God. Cause I mean, I think that's part of it too for John. He just deep down, God, I know better than you. These people don't need to hear from me. These yeah. people are, are, they're gone, right? right. I, it's, it's too late. And, and so I think that that shows you that the kind of growth that was expected out of Jonah by God has not taken place. That kind of repentance has not fully done its work because he has not shown the kind of leadership uh, grace, uh, and even just a, uh, a a sense of responsibility for the lives of of others that someone who knows God that well should show. Which I think is is hard for us to reconcile with, at, at least for me right now. I mean, I find myself thinking that you know Jonah has had this miraculous encounter with God. He's heard God's voice. He ran away from that voice. He ends up in the belly of a fish. And, and when you read the prayer that he wrote and the worship that he does yeah. in the belly, you realize that he knows good and well what is happening, right? Yeah. That God sent this fish. And he gets spit out on dry land, and it's like nothing has changed. And I mean, that's really itchy to me that Jonah has this encounter with the presence of God that we dream of having, right? I mean, that we say we would love to have the kind of clarity that he does. And it doesn't really lead to any real change yeah. in his life. He's still stubborn. He's still angry. He's still reluctant. He's still gritting his teeth. I mean, it doesn't lead to any real transformation. Which is amazing in that if you read chapter two, the worship and the prayer, it just seems like a completely different Jonah than the one we see in chapter three. You're queued up at the end of chapter two to think, oh my gosh, Jonah, he's all in. Yeah. He's all in. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) So. And I think that this really goes to the theme of our our podcast here is that Jonah's got some growing to do. And he, I think, knows it, but he's still fighting against it. He's still fighting against the kind of prophet that God wants him 
to be. Which again, I can relate, you know. I, I can admit that I have some growing to do, but there's usually a disclaimer, right? Okay, God, I know I have some growing to do. I know I need, I know you you may be calling me towards this thing and I need to say yes to it, but I'm I'm not ready for them to be a part of it. Right. But, you know, I, I admit you're right, God, I, I need to grow, but not if it means uh, having to associate with them. Right. And, and yet God is saying, you got to go. You got to go. You have to go and speak these words. And he gives them five of whatever other words he was supposed to give. Yeah. And I mean, you know, spoiler alert, we don't really see that growth happen in Jonah through the, through the end of the book. Well, um, you just ruined it wrong. Yeah. No. So, I mean. No, but they I, saw it coming, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the question for, like, overarching question, chapter three for us, what's our takeaway? I mean, are we going to be like Jonah or are we going to be like the Ninevites? Yeah. Are we going to be like Jonah, who does the bare minimum? Are we going to be like the Ninevites, who do all they possibly can? Because, you know, again, God wants what God wants. And it's clear from the very beginning of this chapter to the very end. God wants the Ninevites to repent. And God wants Jonah to be the vessel. Right? It's not like Jonah runs away and... God lets Jonah die when he jumps off the, the edge of the boat and he goes and finds a, another prophet to go and do this role. No, God wants Jonah to be the vessel. And he'll do anything he can yep. to make or to get Jonah to be that vessel. And it works yep. for the most part. So your question is just really, really, really important for us to wrestle with. Are we going to be like Jonah when God asks us to do something? Do we do the bare minimum or do we even? put roadblocks in front of others right. to find God and to have right. repentance? Are we going to actually throw up roadblocks for other people because we don't want what mm. God wants? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to be like the Ninevites who show utter humility? They, they do anything and everything they can. Right. Everything they possibly can. Yeah. Um, to show humility. I mean, this is a, a God they don't know, a God from a tiny little nation. They're the giant, big uh, boys in the block. And there they are, dressing in sackcloth, sitting in ashes, fasting. They're doing everything they can. Uh, they are doing, any, and all of those things are all about humility. All of those things are about showing that they are not deserving of, of, of anything, but they're asking for forgiveness. That they are fully aware that they are asking for something that they do not deserve. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know. Jonah's basically saying they don't deserve it, and I don't want them to have it. Right, right. And you know, you—I feel like you can't read chapter three and not not at least hear the the whisper of God telling you that you should maybe consider uh, working on forgiving your enemies. Mm. Yeah, because God loves your enemies, mm-hmm. and Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So there's a part of and Jonah demonstrates him. just how difficult that is. Yeah, just how hard that is for us. Because throughout the first three chapters, he still doesn't love the Ninevites. And remember, remember, at one point in Jonah's life, he would rather die than go to Nineveh. Yeah, and the fish changes that, but not, not all the way. Right. So yeah, who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like Jonah? Are we going to be like the Ninevites? I mean, I think there's a ton packed into this to this chapter. There is. There is. And, you know, if we're talking about growth, we see Jonah fighting against that growth. And if if yeah, you resisting. Yeah, yep. resisting it. 
if you are kind of stuck in that moment and you're, you're realizing now that you're fighting against a call, you're fighting against growth, uh, Jonah is an example of what can happen to you. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get swallowed up by a fish or anything like that, but I think we all see in our history that there are ways in which God is trying to redirect us and to keep prodding us forward towards the growth that he knows we need. And just like God never gave up on the Ninevites, God doesn't give up on Jonah either. Um, and no. so I think there's a whole lot of hope there as well. I agree. And we'll see that God doesn't abandon him in chapter four. But right. again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. We are going to have one more week with Jonah and we're going to cover chapter four. And wow, this is an unexpected and wonderful ending. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, still complicated. It is. It is unexpected. It is challenging. And uh, it definitely pushes how we understand uh, Jonah and God and uh, and just this, this whole story. Yeah. Because it doesn't really give us a good, neat wrap-up. Right. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening. Uh, again, tune in next week for week four and the very end of the Book of Jonah. We'll talk to you then. Take care.